2: Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Gabrielle HaCohen. You can call me Gavi. That's what my friends call me. Y'all are my friends, so you can call me Gavi. I'm here with my BFF and co-host, the reason for the show, the reason for the season.
3: What season is that?
2: Uh, I don't know. Uh, I was going to say the season of singleness because I was uh, thinking of Bethany Beal. Uh, right. Right. You know, because that's, that's her thing that she would say before she got married. No, this I am season, not uh, single.
3: And neither is Bethany Beale anymore.
2: No, that's true. Even uh, though she
3: had her first kiss at 30. Did you know it? Did you know that she had her first kiss at 30? Did she ever tell you?
2: I've seen that on Instagram like <laughs> 80 times.
3: Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. And <laughs> I like to make fun of myself and uh, other f- fundamentalists.
2: <laughs> yeah. My BFF Sadie Carpenter, the survivor of the Independent Fundamental Baptist cult, uh, and Sadie, what are we talking about? Today? we've got a couple of topics today because we we've been doing this series of like how to. So we did because people are coming out of fundamentalism; they don't know how to do things. I like did just not know that, how
3: to do things.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that, like people like you know like me growing up, I would take for granted. So um, we did one where we talked about drinking. We did one where we talked about dating. And what are we talking about today?
3: Do you want to? Yeah, today we are going to talk about a couple of different topics. We are going to talk about dancing and seeing live music.
2: Two great tastes that taste great together.
3: We're going to go through some fun stuff. We're going to explain why the fundamentalists believe that dancing is such a sin. It's going to be a good time.
2: It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited for this. Uh, but before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, Go join our Patreon if you want to, because there is extended and uncensored versions of most of our episodes, Uh, usually like 15, 20 minutes, sometimes a half hour of, of bonus content on there for every episode that we do. It's a lot of fun. You also get access to Sadie's writings, including what Sadie Carpenter, actual cult survivor, thinks of The Handmaid's Tale. Fascinating read. Highly recommend it. Other thing you can do, you can join our Facebook group, which is only for leaving Eden fans, where you can discuss the show, discuss fundamentalism, discuss your upbringings. And that is called facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit and do the same thing, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Sadie, is there anything else uh, I'm forgetting before I get into thanking our Faith Promise missions? And I gave it all to your patrons.
3: I think that's it for today.
2: That's it. Okay. Well, great. Uh, I just need to thank our, I gave it all to your patrons first. There's two of them now. Count them two. One, two, uno, dos, ein, zwei. Uh, Kathleen Moncrief, who has been a supporter of this show for more than a year, I do believe, just for, for a very long time. One of our really first supporters. So, Kathleen, you're the best. Also, our first ever. I Gave It All to your patron, the first one to ever join the I Gave It All tier of Patreon, uh, Melissa Mosley. Melissa Mosley, I don't know you, but I would like to. You seem amazing. You seem super cool. Both of you are definitely as cool as Betty White and or Albert Einstein and or Dr. Jonas Salk, who cured polio.
3: Thank you so much to our I Gave It All to your patrons.
2: Yes, you you guys are amazing. Yeah. So our faith promise missions to your patrons, you guys, y- you guys are also amazing. Uh, not quite as amazing, but, but, uh, <laughs> your names are. What have alleg- we been
3: talking about? About not assigning value judgments to people, Gavi. Yeah.
2: That's actually true. We have been having We've that been conversation. We've been having this
3: conversation.
2: <laughs> I know. It's less entertaining, but. You know that's that's I, I really I really need to examine some things about myself. But until I do, our faith promises. <laughs> to your patrons are Alex Todd, Anisha Patel, Brittany, Brooke Tully, Carrie R. Oh, is this a new one, Chrissa? Chrissa, Chrissa oh, might uh, be new. Chrissa, yeah, I that's a name that I don't recognize. That's a name that I haven't heard since before you were born. No, that's a name I haven't heard ever. Well, Krissa, you're new. Thank you. Crystal Patterson, Eleanor Donahue, Elizabeth DeWorth. That's also a new one. A brand new one. A fresh one. Emery Fairlosser, the OG. Not a new one. Emery Fairlosser, the coolest person. A very cool person. Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, K Terwee, Katherine Schneider, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, Michaela Upright, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, two Madelines, a lot of Madelines. You know what? When I was growing up, there was always two Madelines in my class. Every single year, there was two of them. Um,
3: That's a lovely name.
2: Yeah, it is. So there was always like a Maddie L and a Maddie R or like a Maddie Z and a Maddie G like, mm-hmm. you know, like there, there was all, no matter where I was, there was two of them just like automatic. There was always going to be two of them um, just figured out. And they even spelled them the same, or sometimes it would be Maddie with a Y or M- and Maddie with an I. And like, you just had to, to know. Okay. Um, we have Mary Martin, AKA the Peter Pan on Broadway. The, the actor played Peter Pan on Broadway, Megan are Mike Smith the excellent Mike Smith, Miranda Day, Rah- <laughs> Hel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, Reverend Robert Stutes, Sarah Reesey, Shane Horton, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, the excellent Susie, Tiffany Enderby, Walnut Son of Walnut, and Wes the Cowboy. Thank you, West the Cowboy. Thank you, all of these people. And, oh, holy crap. I can't believe I missed this one. Sadie's actual BFF, aka Morgan. Morgan comes last because she, she put her name in the Patreon as like having like the little star emojis. Oh, so she's changed it she, again. Yeah, so that's what see she was pimp daddy mo for a minute. But yes. now she's just Morgan. Okay. Morgan. Well,
3: highly entertaining friend.
2: Yeah, great person. Excellent um, human being. Top tier.
3: Yes. Likes to text me when I'm recording and try to throw me off. It's very fun. Okay. Yeah. Uh Thank you so much to all of our excellent I Gave It All tier and Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. And thank you to everybody who supports us on Patreon. Uh, You are the reason that we get to put an amount of time and energy into this show that we want to put into it. We want to put out the highest quality of content that we possibly can. And we couldn't do that without your financial support. So thank you so much.
2: Yes, 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 yes.
3: I have a quick trigger warning, and I think we can get into this episode.
2: Bam. Okay. Bong, bong. Let's do it.
3: So, in general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, child abuse, physical, mental, sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In many episodes, we'll mention at least a few of these topics, but we do try to avoid any graphic detail or extra disturbing detail unless it's relevant and necessary for the story that we're telling on that particular day. And if we are going to do that, we'll give you a heads up right before we go into detail or say anything that could be potentially extra triggering. This episode, we're talking about dancing and music and concerts. We are going to talk about the reasons the IFB doesn't dance. It has a lot to do with not feeling ownership of one's body. We're also going to have to talk about some satanic panic stuff. I don't think anything too graphic or serious on this particular episode.
2: Also, if you have been seriously injured and have PTSD from being seriously injured in a mosh pit... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, <laughs> at the end of the episode, maybe uh, 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 you'll just want it to. Yeah,
3: at, for- at the end of the episode, I'm going to be. I'm going to talk about uh, being consensually thrown around like a rag doll by a large group of heavy metal men who were very respectful.
2: <laughs> they do tend to be though. Oh yeah. heads, they tend to. They tend to be much more respectful. Um,
3: yes, I'm going to tell cute and consensual stories about what happens when you're a person on the smaller side of the metal demographic and you go into a mosh pit.
2: Anyway, first half of the episode we're gonna talk about dancing. So Sadie. Yes. Dancing. Why is it banned? Why don't the IFB like it?
3: Well it goes all the way back to my favorite Baptist joke, which is why don't Baptists have sex standing up? Why not? Because it might lead to dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes aside <laughs> dancing is banned in the ifb primarily because number one it might make you feel sexy and number two someone might see you dancing and they might feel sexy i can't tell you how many sermons i heard growing up about how the dancing in music videos the super bowl halftime show advertisements whatever was so evil and so sensual people moving their hips excessively And this was before twerking was a mainstream thing. So I shudder to think how many Baptist preachers are screaming about twerking now. That sounds unbelievably cringe. (laughs) So the primary problem that the IFB has with dancing relates to people moving their hips or moving their bodies in a way that the IFB perceives to be sexual. The problem is it's the IFB. So most things are considered potentially sexual.
2: Yeah, they're just so repressed. They just like are horny for everything all the time.
3: Right. So the concept, though, that it is almost entirely related to uh, sensuality or sexuality is how you get a lot of fundies who would be fine with a couple taking ballroom dance classes together as long as they're not touching anyone other than each other and as long as they're waltzing and not tangoing. This is the same concept that gets you a lot of fundies who are fine with Cinderella or old school movie musicals that had Broadway type choreography in them, because that's not considered to be quite as bad. This is how you get a lot of fundies that are okay-ish with certain styles of dance. In my house, we were allowed to watch Lawrence Welk, so we saw like tap dancing and ballroom styles on Lawrence Welk, and that was okay.
2: You know, for people who say that sexual thoughts are evil and sinful and impure, the IFB really do spend a lot of time thinking about sex.
3: They also use this as an excuse to be subtly racist because they will tell you that any dance that is done to, quote unquote, satanic rock and roll music that comes from Africa, see episode two, is of course meant to be sensual and there's probably demons in it.
2: There are plenty of examples of people dancing in the bible um like in, in ways that are i i think regarded positively for example um i'm going to read from the book of exodus chapter 15 um verse 19 um and so it says here for the horses of pharaoh with his chariots and riders went into the sea and turned back on them the waters of the sea but the israelites marched on dry ground in the midst of the sea Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, picked up a timbrel and all the women went out after her in dance with timbrels. So not only do you have the Israelites dancing, but we have them dancing with percussion, both of which are are things that, as we've discussed previously, are, are things that are banned by the fundies.
3: The one that always comes to mind for me is King David in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14 through 23. So I'll, I'm going to read parts of that passage and just try to get the gist of it. So verse 14, And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up, brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. I'm skipping to verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. Verse 21, And David said unto Michael, it was before the Lord, which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, will I play before the Lord?
2: Okay, that's a bit confusing.
3: This one is confusing even to the fundies. <laughs> so the the story is they, are, they have recaptured the Ark of the Covenant. They are bringing it back to Israel. David is leading the procession participating in this procession and he has dressed himself in priestly robes and he is dancing uh in the procession as they are bringing the ark back mostly i have heard this passage interpreted and this is gonna get you i can just tell this is gonna get you okay (laughs) i have mostly heard this this passage interpreted to shame michael because she, she's the problem here, according to the fundies, because she was being sarcastic to her husband. Be, so back in verse, uh, uh, back in verse 20, she said, how glorious was the king of Israel today? She was making fun of him and being sarcastic to him. So the primary meaning here for the IFB was never be sarcastic to your husband and always be supportive, even if you don't like what he's doing.
2: Wait. So, if something in the Bible directly contradicts your doctrine, you can just say, "Well, they were being sarcastic at that part," and then just say mm-hmm. it means the opposite.
3: No, only if a woman said it, because women are sarcastic all the time because it's one of our besetting sins.
2: Okay. <laughs> so how did? Okay. So how do they explain? I'm. I'm just going to leave that one alone. Um. I'm. So, like, how do they explain away Miriam? Because clearly, it says, all the women are dancing joyfully because they've all just been liberated from slavery, and this is a good thing. Like, that's...
3: So, how they explain Miriam and how many fundies also explain David dancing before the Lord is to say that they weren't dancing sensually. It was more like jumping up and down.
2: So, King David did jumping jacks for the Lord.
3: Yes, exactly.
2: And then he did 20 push-ups. Lord's like, drop down, give me 20. Then do 20 jumping (laughs) jacks.
3: You're being funny, but I've heard this.
2: 20 suicides, back and forth. Got to make sure that you're ready for training camp.
3: (laughs) Well, you know, King David didn't (laughs) go to training camp because when the time when kings go out to battle, he stayed at his house. And that's what, uh, trigger warning for Fundy misogyny, that's what caused David to accidentally see Bathsheba naked and then he couldn't control himself because men have no self-control. So it's not his fault that he sexually assaulted her and then had her husband murdered.
2: Yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I don't, I don't even know where to go with that. That's, a, uh, that's
3: okay. So, uh, so <laughs> this passage, Fundies will debate whether David was actually dancing and doing something wrong, or whether he was just praising God, the ones that think that he was doing something wrong, their counterpoint is, yes, he was doing something wrong, but his wife shouldn't have been sarcastic to him no matter what. So really, really, it's her sin that we should be focusing on here. And then the ones that think he was doing a good thing and dancing before the Lord believe that he was doing jumping jacks. So remember me telling you about the Somebody Touched Me song where they sing the days of the week and then people, mostly men, people run around the room and do jumping jacks and like flip off of pews and hoot and holler. We were also told that that wasn't dancing. That was it, that was more like what King David was doing in this story.
2: Wait, so hold on. The Fundies have a song called Somebody Touched Me?
3: Yes. I'm sure that we've talked about this for, before. Like, it was on a Sunday, somebody touch me.
2: Somebody touched me. His name was Jack Scott and he went to prison for violation of the man act, but they released him. He should be back in for violating his parole.
3: (laughs) I love that. (laughs) It's true. Can I get that as a TikTok sound?
2: You should. Uh, Has he uh, registered as a sex offender yet?
3: Uh, I checked last week and it was nothing.
2: Dude, this somebody's got to get. Can we like call somebody about this? I'm working
3: on some things.
2: He's he's gonna like this. It's been like three months. When was he released? May?
3: I, yeah, he's, I have I can do an update episode at some point with everything that I've done so far and my next steps. I've been doing a lot behind the scenes and just getting nowhere. Uh, but I've been gathering documentation and I have a couple of next people I'm gonna reach out to doing what I can. But back to the jumping jacks before the Lord theory. There are a couple of holes in this theory. So number one, speaking of Miriam, IFB women would still not be allowed to jump up and down or do jumping jacks before the Lord in the presence of men. So whatever Miriam and the women were doing, if they were just jumping up and down, they were still not in compliance with IFB rules. Maybe that's one reason that Miriam has been completely erased as a prophetess. The, the other big hole in this theory is that we don't know exactly, exactly what scripture is referring to when Michael criticizes David for being uncovered. I read the KJV, which uses the phrase uncovered to describe whatever his outfit was. Um, the ESV also uses uncovered. The NIV uses the term half naked and the New Living Translation has the term exposing himself. So, while I was told that the correct interpretation is that David was jumping up and down before the Lord, I was also told that David was being careless, and that led to him being immodest. So, he was still doing something wrong, even though the actual dancing Mm -hmm. part was not sinful. Because if you are doing a non-sinful thing, but you are not being careful in how you are doing it, you can still accidentally do other sinful things in the process. To fully understand the IFB thought on this, you you have to know that they believe that the word translated as nakedness in the King James Version refers to any exposure of the skin between the knee and the belly button. So a short skirt or short shorts, that's considered nakedness because you can see your thigh, but a... Uh, like a crop top that shows your belly button is also nakedness. And in the IFB value system, if you can see an inch of thigh, that is literally the same level of sin as if you were walking around with no pants on at all. Really? Yes. What? And this also plays into why women can't wear pants because they believe that tight pants on women that reveal the shape of the leg. ...is the same thing. Because you're still... Even though you're not showing skin, you're still showing the shape of your body. And that is still nakedness. The IFB don't necessarily believe that David was dancing naked naked, like in the modern... The way that we use that word now. But they believe that he was showing thigh. Either because he was dancing in his underwear or because he had his robe girded up so high that his thighs were exposed... Either way, it is uh, taken as a cautionary tale about even a pure intended action like praising God can get out of hand and cause you to sin. And that's what happened to David in this story.
2: You know, the IFB teaching that going overboard while praising the Lord can cause you to sin is simultaneously the most self-aware and the least self-aware thing that I have ever heard come out of fundamentalism. It's like... You know what I'm saying? It's like horseshoeing itself to the way that it becomes a spiral. Like, yes, <laughs> I.
3: And this mm. is this has this kind of plays into like fundy stiffness. If you watch reality TV fundies, or if you follow fundy families on the internet, why people seem kind of robotic? It's it plays into this because it's about how you have to think about everything before you do it not only to make sure you're not sitting on purpose, but also to make sure you're not sitting on accident in any number of ways. This, it also has to do with why they don't use worship bands or modern worship music, modern contemporary Christian music, because in Fundy World, even in the act of praising God, if you're doing too much, if you're praising God too much and not paying attention to your body, it could cause someone else to lust after you, and that could potentially be sinful. So just to wrap it all back up with Michael's criticism, uh, they believe that she was correct, that David was being sinful, but also she's sinned by criticizing her husband. Even though, if you consider this in context, David was not exactly known for being a faithful husband, so it makes, when you think about it from Michael's perspective, which obviously the IFB would never do, because bible is about men um but if you think about it if you put yourself in her shoes it makes so much sense that she would be hypersensitive to anything that she perceived as him going trying to go court more women behind her back which he did a lot anyway
2: like literally all the time that's yeah. like david's uh, married and then he's just not to I mean, mention he's,
3: his bff
2: he's a little like a, a roommate a of, a, of a jfk you know out, that's you know. yeah,
3: JFK and what's it what's his name? Lim Billings.
2: <laughs> very,
3: um, very JFK in a lot of ways. Yeah. So <laughs> it makes sense that <laughs> it right. makes sense that Michael would be hypersensitive to this if you take literally thirty seconds to think about her role with compassion, but of course that's not really in the IFB way of doing things.
2: So in conclusion, everybody sinned all sins are equal, but dancing is especially bad.
3: Yes, and criticizing your husband is even worse.
2: Got it. Yep. So, Sadie. That's me. You were raised in fundamentalism. You were taught this teaching that dancing is sinful. So how did you get over that? What advice do you want to give to people who also want to get over that?
3: I was not only told that dancing was sinful. I want to call back to another thing that I think I can pull in here and relate here. I've talked about not even knowing how to walk or sit naturally because especially AFAD people were expected to never move in a sensual way at all. I want our listeners, before I talk about like learning to dance, I want our listeners to get a real sense of how tightly your bodies. Normal and natural movements were controlled within fundamentalism. I see it as really similar to what we were talking about a while back in the dating episode. Because before you can even deconstruct purity culture, you have to take apart the idea that dating is only to be done with the ultimate goal of marriage. Well, before you even think about dancing, you might have to deconstruct and deal with learning to move your body in a natural way at all. For me, learning to walk more naturally was a really big thing. I do think I probably walked weird for a while. I don't know. (laughs) We have some listeners who knew me uh, back in like 2016, 2017. Maybe they can confirm this. I think I had to walk with an exaggerated hip sway for a while to break my brain out of the habits of being very robotic before I got into a more natural gait for me. Actually, I can tell you how I learned to do this. This might be super weird, but I think it's an interesting peek into how difficult it is and how deep you have to go to learn this stuff.
2: Oh, please do. This is fascinating to me.
3: So when I was trying to learn how to walk like a normal human, I watched videos on how to do a runway walk. So... What they want from models is for each step to be directly in line with the last as if you were walking on the lines in a parking lot. So I watched videos on how to runway walk and tried to copy that because that naturally causes your hips to move a lot more.
2: So was was that something you had to you would like do throughout your day like you would actively think about doing it like and this is just how you would walk down the street? Yeah. Or,
3: absolutely. Huh. I would I would pay attention to how I walked every single step I took. I would also pay attention to how I was sitting, uh, purposely stand with my feet farther apart, purposely stretch to try to loosen my hips up more.
2: So it changed the way you stood also. Yes. Like, and your posture and everything as well.
3: Yeah, over time, it definitely did. I think I also gained strength that I didn't have before because if you were in the same posture all the time, the muscles that keep you in that particular posture will be really strong, but the muscles that you would use to be in a different posture might be weak, right? Yeah. So I think I had to, I had some muscles that were overdeveloped because of the way that I stood and sat was so rigid, and then I had other muscles that were underdeveloped. And I had to balance that out.
2: So was it like physically uncomfortable?
3: Yeah, nothing terrible, but I had sore muscles for a while. Um, my oh. like my everything, my hips, my rib cage, my abs, my even my upper thighs would be sore because I was moving in a way that I had not before. And I was sitting in ways that I hadn't before. I also just felt I felt really awkward a lot. I felt that other people moved more gracefully than I did. I had also been wearing layers of shapewear most of the time as a teenager. Oh, so
2: which is just Ow.
3: bad, bad for developing bodies. That's not like good.
2: Multiple layers of it. Yeah, just like one. Yeah. Oh.
3: Um, like my teenager. Uniform would be like a regular bra and then a sports bra and then one to three compression tank tops oh, and no. then whatever shirt I was wearing and hosiery, like tight compression hose.
2: ow, that sounds extremely uncomfortable. I'm very sorry that yeah,
3: it was, it was oh my- not not ideal and not great for breathing. <laughs>
2: No wonder you kept passing out in the middle of class. Like you just.
3: Yeah, I don't know why that was That (laughs) would You would think. What the f?
2: Man. You would think
3: that people would have put that together. Yeah. And I was wearing that like out soul winning on 100 degree days.
2: The impression that I'm getting here is like, you know, uh in Dragon Ball Z when Goku is training in like weighted clothing so that like he and the Z fighters take off their clothing and then their power levels increase. That's what I'm getting here.
3: Yes, I know about Dragon Ball Z.
2: <laughs> no, okay. So Oh no, so- I was
3: sarcastic. That's a sin. <laughs> Thank that goodness is sin. you're not my husband, I'd be in worse trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so it I just from from being that being my norm for so long because any jiggle if if any movement of the fat or muscles on your body was a sin so because that that (laughs) could cause people to lust after you so i was trying to get out ahead of that by just immobilizing myself (laughs) effectively because that way i could get away with wearing slightly tighter clothes and not have to walk around in a potato sack all the time So I was trying to like look fashionable and that was the only way I thought that I could do it. But having like being immobilized like that took like, it took so much for me to get used to moving without all of that additional support.
2: So is there a mindset aspect to this? Yeah. As well. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Because we were taught to, from a very, very young age, to catch ourselves if we were not walking or standing or sitting correctly and to fix it. So when you are trying to break out of that, you will catch yourself doing it the wrong way, and then you have to mentally finagle not fixing it. You have to break the habit of immediately fixing it. It's, it's a whole new thing to remember.
2: So you're going from walking in a way that attracts as little attention as possible to like runway walking, which is moving in a way that you're like, you're only going to walk in that manner if you know that you are the center of attention.
3: Yeah. And then that makes you feel like you're attracting so much attention, even though you're actually really not, but you just feel like everybody's watching you.
2: Was it difficult going from like an environment where you know every move is being scrutinized to an environment where you're like, wait a minute, nobody's paying attention to me?
3: I don't know if difficult is the word I would use. It was, it was weird. It's, it's a strange realization because you are leaving an environment that you were told it's the safest place in the world and you're going to an environment that you are told is very dangerous. But you've learned that the church is not truly safe and the world is not as dangerous as it was made out to be, but also you have no tools for when you actually encounter danger in the world Ooh, and it's the yeah. same thing with the being scrutinized or being looked at you're you've been trying not to attract any sexual attention for your entire life but odds are if you grew up as an afab person in an ifb church you did attract unwanted sexual attention from the men around you uh you just had no recourse for when it happened because it was your fault so then you get out into the real world, and maybe you want to attract a little bit of sexual attention from whomever is the person of your choice is. Uh, or maybe you don't, but you wouldn't mind attracting a little aesthetic attention. You know, your outfit is cute, I like your hair color. You, but you feel like every person is looking at you and judging you because that's what you're used to. But oh, let's say you've gotten through all that, and like Miriam you would like to do a dance to celebrate your freedom. You have to learn to move your body in a less robotic or prescripted way. But also, you may not have any idea of what kind of music people dance to. A lot of us had never or rarely even had heard the kind of music that people dance to.
2: So when you're getting out of fundamentalism and listening to worldly music, would you listen to a song and you would think, oh, I can dance to this?
3: No, because you have no internal sense of rhythm. Mm. I had a good um, internal metronome from playing piano and playing with direction and, and learning classical music. But I did not have an internal sense of beat or rhythm. You don't feel the beat in your body and you don't know the difference between... You just know dancing is a thing. You don't know the difference between how you would slow dance to I Will Always Love You or how you would dance to, I don't know, Bad Romance or how you would do a silly dance to Yakety Sax. You you just, I didn't have that. I didn't have that sense of, I know that dancing is something that you might do to any of those three songs, but I don't really know how it would be different.
2: Yeah, well, I, so I know that you're a big fan of Bruno Mars. Yes. Um, and like all his music is super funky Super danceable. How's that come about? Is that like, it, 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 are, are those two things linked?
3: Maybe not. I really? started, yeah, I started listening to Bruno Mars way back in his early era. So he was one of the people I listened to secretly on Pandora. But this is way before Uptown Funk and 24 Karat Magic and all of that. I was listening to Talking to the Moon and When I Was Your Man. It's still excellent music, but it's a very different vibe from what he's doing now. It's much like the music that I was listening to by Bruno Mars at the time was piano centered singer songwriter type stuff. And then by the time he got into his newer era where 24 Karat Magic was coming out, I was already in the process of getting out by the time that happened.
2: So Bruno Mars transition from singer songwriter to funk master general was the soundtrack of your deconstruction.
3: Yes, just maybe a year or two behind. So if you've heard the the unorthodox jukebox record, that's the one with Gorilla on it. Uh, Locked Out of Heaven is on there. I think Natalie is on there, too, which is now one of my favorite songs by him. But I didn't – so Unorthodox Jukebox came out, but I wouldn't listen to all of the songs on that record because, for example, Locked Out of Heaven is about sex, and that made me feel way too guilty. Mm. So I would listen to some of the songs off that record. I think the one I'd catch a grenade for you. I think that's on that album, but some of the songs were too worldly. And then I also, I had blocked the lazy song off my playlist because that has a masturbation reference, which was obviously incredibly (laughs) shocking.
2: Yeah. So, okay. So how do you, so how did you go about figuring out what kind of music you wanted to dance to?
3: So I think there's two paths and then you can pick either path or do both you could see what other people like to dance to and go with that. Or you could listen to a lot of different types of music by yourself and see what inspires you to move. So it is approaching the same issue from two different ways. So I wanna talk about if you are, I personally, hard, let me back up, hold on. It's it's approaching the same goal from two different sides. Either like go with, go with what other people like or go off by yourself and figure out what you like. I was a both ways person, insert bi- mm. bisexual joke here. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I know that one path or the other might work better for for, for certain people. So I want to talk about the I want to do it by myself person first. You mentioned earlier songs that make you want to dance. And I want to explain how I figured out what that was for me. Because I grew up with the impression that I did not want to dance. Because I did not—I would feel a feeling, but I thought that feeling was, I like this song. I did not realize that what I was feeling was, I like this song and would like to move my body to this song. Because I did not assume that I would want to do the sin of dancing. Really? Yeah, because remember in the the massively traumatic uh, Christian church camp episode I was talking about, if you want to do sins, you might not really be saved? So for me, I was thinking, well, I know I'm really saved; therefore, I would not desire to do a sin. Therefore, this feeling that I am feeling is not wanting to dance; it is enjoying this song. But as I deconstructed, I realized that if I felt a butterflies in my stomach kind of sensation, or if I was listening to a song and felt myself tapping my foot without doing it on purpose, like without thinking about it. That that is what it feels like if you want to dance to a song,
2: wow, so you just you just had no conception of it,
3: no, because yeah. wanting to dance is a sin, and I didn't think I was doing that sin, <laughs> so whatever I was feeling was not the feeling of wanting to dance. it was something else,
2: I mean, the reasoning makes sense, so
3: yeah, in like uh- a kid sort of way. So if you are going the route of like, I want to do this on my own and then enter into the world of dancing where other people can see me uh, with a little more confidence, I suggest if you have some music on at home, if you're really self-conscious, cover your mirrors or get in a part of your house where you can't see any mirrors and then just start doing motions with your body. You have to let go of the fear of looking dumb and, and some people really have to take baby steps into this i did that it is okay what i would do is when i was by myself nobody could see me to <laughs> make fun of me it's i would try to look dumb on purpose so i would put music on and purposely dance out of rhythm and just flail and <laughs> try to make up the worst silliest dance moves that i possibly could and this was how I broke myself mentally out of the fear of looking silly. That may not work for everybody, but it worked for me. I would just, and now I dance that way with Chuck and it's adorable.
2: That sounds very cute.
3: Yeah, and she thinks it's really funny. So that came in handy a second time later in life. But if you if you are going this direction, you're just doing trying to make up dumb, silly looking dance moves on purpose you will eventually kind of fall into something that maybe looks less silly. And then over time, maybe you'll feel confident enough to put up a mirror to watch yourself. And then you can see what looks silly in a good way and what looks silly in a way that is not what you want. Also, watching videos of people dancing and accepting that all dancing looks a little bit silly. It's just that some forms of looking silly are considered cool in our culture. That can help get over that mental block.
2: So how how do you feel... About maybe seeking out a song that has a specific dance or dance move that goes with the song. So like Mm -hmm. when when I was uh, like in in high in like a freshman in high school, the cool one was crank that soldier boy.
3: This might totally work for some people. And I'm so glad that you thought to bring it up because I would never have brought it up because I freak out over any dance that has like moves that you're supposed to do at certain points in the song. I cannot do it. It freaks me out. Really? Yeah.
2: So in-
3: just instant anxiety attack. <laughs> cannot do it.
2: Okay. Huh? Fascinating. Cause for, for me, like I was never good at dancing. Um, and like that, I guess that makes everything easier. Uh, so like, if if you watch a video of somebody showing you exactly what to do during the song, then you can practice and know that you're doing it right or know you're doing it wrong. Because like, like my freshman year of high school, I got there and everybody knew the song and how to do the dance to the song. And like on the first day of school, there was a pep assembly and everybody was doing it, and I didn't know it, so I had to go home and like go on my computer and pull up the YouTube video where Soldier Boy teaches you how to do the Crank That Soldier Boy dance, and then I had to memorize it so that whenever somebody's phone went off in class and they had Crank That Soldier Boy as their ringtone, which happened like six or seven times a day in like 2007, you could do the dance with everybody before the teacher would yell at you. <laughs> if you learn a specific dance for a specific song, you can take the moves from that and put them in if you're like jamming out to a different song. It's You know, it's like with guitar. Like you learn note for note, like the guitar solo on somebody else's song. And then you take like a little lick from the guitar solo and you add it to your own solo and then put your own style to it. It's kind of like that.
3: Yeah. I I understand the value of it. I just am inexplicably freaked out by songs where you have to learn a specific dance and maybe it's trauma from all the bus songs with hand motions.
0: Maybe oh, it's God. that.
3: I don't even know. Uh, I lifeguarded for a pool that had a water Zumba class where people would do dance moves to popular songs. But in the pool, they did that one that's like slide to the left, slide to the right. But even after watching people do it every single week for an entire summer, I still couldn't keep up with it. I can't do it.
2: You mean the cha-cha slide? Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Cha-cha slide. I can't Um, do
3: any of those songs that people do at weddings. So when I'm when I'm your best person at your wedding, co best person at your wedding, I'm not going to do that.
2: If they tell you what moves to do in the words to the song, and you don't e- you don't even have to remember any of them.
3: I d- I don't know what it is. I have a mental block on that, oh. but that does lead me to my next point. Because so one track that you can go if you're trying to figure out this dancing thing is doing dancing by yourself purposely look dumb and just it'll help you get over it and then maybe learn popular dance moves if you don't have whatever weird hang up I have the other track that you can go down is go to a place where people are dancing and just try to copy them the secret thing about like nightclub dancing is that everybody is just making it up as they go along and truly good dancers in that space are super rare so if you go to a club that has a hundred or two hundred people in it, odds are there's one person there who is actually a really good dancer. Everybody else who's out on the dance floor is only slightly less clueless than you are.
2: If you turn the lights on in the nightclub, everybody's going to look like an idiot. But if you have the lights absolutely down, like absolutely true, in, like dark colors, it's just like bodies moving. As long as it's kind of in time, then it's fine.
3: Yeah. I I really got confident with like club dancing at eighties video dance night at the Crystal Ballroom. They play eighties music videos on really big screens and people dance and it's really dark in there, so that's helpful. Question. Answer.
2: You're so you're on TikTok. Yes. Do you recommend going on TikTok finding a song you like and then looking at the dance moves that people are doing to like and and trying to learn somebody's dance routine from like a TikTok?
3: This could definitely be helpful for somebody who does, has a different mentality about this than I do. It would make me really nervous and I don't think I could handle it. But this could absolutely be a great idea for somebody who is on the other side of the spectrum where that's concerned and wants to learn prescribed moves.
2: Biggest takeaway, sort of like we were talking about last week with learning to date, is that I think you have ownership over your own body and other people aren't allowed to dictate what you can and can't do with it.
3: Yeah, I think understanding why I felt so disconnected from my body and why I felt so awkward trying to move it intentionally was a big step on my road to gaining confidence.
2: Yeah, okay, so you know what I think? And this is sort of like inspired but I was reading a Reddit thread earlier today. And you, so you know how when you're learning to drive, or when you start driving, uh, say so you come to an intersection and you think, okay, there is a stop sign. I have to come to a complete stop, and you're following all of the rules very strictly and thinking specifically about everything that you're doing. So, if somebody in the lane in front of you, like, stops, like in the middle of the lane to like parallel park. You'll just stay completely stopped behind them and not like want to cross over the yellow lines uh, to to just go around them, even if nobody's coming the other way
3: yes um
2: you see the metaphor i'm going for here where it's like
3: i see your metaphor but this is also almost exactly how i got pulled over the only time i've ever been pulled over so far (laughs) knocking on wood um i got pulled over for going too slow in a construction zone (laughs) because i there was a double white line and i was in the left lane and i should have gone over into the right lane for the speed that I was going. Uh, But there was a double white line between the left and the right lane. And I was in a construction zone and I know that illegal lane changes in a construction zone are a big deal. So I didn't get out of the fast lane and move over uh, because I thought I wasn't allowed to. So that's how I got pulled over for following the rules too hard.
2: That's extremely on brand. Yes, I know. (laughs) know. After a few years, you're more comfortable. You have a feeling for your vehicle, how big it is, where it can fit, what you can do with it safely. And it's sort of like that, except instead of your car and how you're driving, it's your own body. And the only way to get to that level is just to kind of go, like, get out there and do it.
3: Right. I I don't. And when we say. Right. And when we say go out there and do it, we don't want to be dismissive because that can feel really paralyzing if people are like, no help. You're just going to tell me to go look stupid. So what we're saying when we say go out and do it, what we're really saying is understand why you feel that you don't have ownership or access to your body and do something about it. Practice by yourself or try realizing that you don't look any sillier than anybody else and stand on the edge of the crowd in the dark and copy other people and work your way into experience by trying one or both or other methods. Like go do, we we mean go do something, not go put yourself in the middle of a crowded dance floor and have a panic attack.
2: <laughs> that sounds like a bad time. Yeah,
3: uh, don't ask how I know.
2: <laughs> no, I mean it's just kind of like if you if you turned sixteen and your dad threw you the keys to your car to to his car and was like, here you go. You know <laughs> that that would and he's just like, yeah, go out teach your teach yourself how to. That wouldn't really be helpful, would it?
3: No, but if you gave a 16-year-old a VR driving simulator where nothing could possibly go wrong, that might be helpful. So if you're trying to learn to dance, realize that you're not in a real car. You're in a simulator. The worst thing that could possibly happen is that you'll look silly. And everyone else looks a little bit silly, too. So as you're comfortable and as you're learning... Don't be don't be worried about that.
2: That was good. I hope that maybe we gave some a, a little a little helpful information right there. I guess it's it's hard to give dancing instructions from a podcast without like video. Uh, it's not like we're going to be out here teaching you dance moves. But um,
3: yeah, but you won't catch me dead dancing on video. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, yeah. no, thank you. Not even with Chuck.
3: Uh, I would with Chuck, but we don't put Chuck's face on the internet very often. So that's a whole new slew of problems.
2: Smart parents. I, I, um, yeah. So why, why don't we go take up the offering and then come back, talk about doing live music, uh, going to, to
0: live concerts. That sounds great. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations. Good news.
1: Branch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
3: that group is called eden exodus tell a friend tell a family member tell your worst enemy the leaving eden podcast is a fully independent podcast and we really appreciate your support now back to the show
2: all right we are back from our break uh what, so we just talked about how to dance or or how to move your body and not to feel self-conscious about it and i want to talk about something maybe a little bit related to that so sadie a few nights ago You and I went out to go see some live music. In fact, it was your husband's excellent metal band, Red Hoof. Uh, We had a great time. Uh, And one thing I noticed was that you seemed really at home going out to a show like this. And I think a lot of ex-fundies might have some trouble with this. So I think now would be a great time for you to talk to all the people about how to really get into going out and, and seeing live music.
3: So these days, I really only make it out to my husband's band gigs, but <laughs> live music is a huge thing that Jonathan and I do together. I think we went to about 25 concerts in our first year together. I had them all counted and listed at one point, but I am not going to go back and do that work again, and I don't know where my list is. We did an average of two to three concerts a month before, you know, COVID and Chuck happened.
2: That's totally awesome, though.
3: It it is totally awesome. It's a great hobby to have. So I thought a good counterpoint to talking about dancing would be if we talked about how to find music that you love and how to be a good concert goer uh maybe a little bit about if we have time maybe a little bit about how not to die if you end up in a mosh pit that kind of thing
2: (laughs) that'll be good over like uh, this is uh i think i don't know what episode number this is this is like a year and a half ago we talked about how you started getting into music like when you first got out of being a funny and, and like somewhat when you were still in high school, but it was like really under the radar. And I seem to remember you saying that you were really into Coldplay. Yeah. So that's that's a band that is they're pretty mainstream. But then as you started getting further and further out of fundamentalisms, your tastes got maybe more specific.
3: Yeah, Coldplay and Maroon Five were my first two. I don't know, bands that were popular and current at the same time as I was into them.
2: So, I mean, and of course, if you're a fan of a big popular band like Coldplay or like Maroon 5, you're only going to get a chance to see them when they go out on tour. And when they do, it's going to be a big show at like an arena or a stadium and they're gonna be popular. There's gonna be tens of thousands of people there. And tickets are gonna be expensive. And not everybody's gonna to wanna to spend seventy or eighty or ninety or a hundred dollars or like more than that to to go to a, a concert for a concert ticket.
3: Yeah. Th- so okay, so going to concerts is one thing. At the point I had gotten into those bands though, we're maybe talking two thousand nine to two thousand eleven. I didn't I don't think I really had the cons i did not understand how band tours worked i didn't think that i i knew i had the vague understanding that bands sometimes go on tour didn't really know what tour was didn't ever consider that i would be able to go see a band on tour i might hear a ad on my pandora station where i secretly listened to these bands that the band was going on tour or see a poster somewhere But my idea of what a rock concert was like was so heavily influenced by what I heard in the IFB that I wouldn't have thought that was ever something I would have the option to do.
2: So what did you think was going to happen at a rock concert?
3: The IFB idea of a rock concert is basically pure hedonism. So I was hearing about, you know, they're doing terrible things backstage and all the artists (laughs) are doing so many drugs and everybody in the audience is doing so many drugs. And it was like, Orgies everywhere while the band is Playing and like obscene things going on On stage like that's kind of The, the <laughs> hype that I was hearing
2: I mean like maybe if, if you're going to see Led Zeppelin Or like Black Sabbath In 1975
3: <laughs> just, For just like Van Halen <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's another way that the fundies are stuck back in the 80s and the satanic panic I guess not all of those things are false for every band uh but i also don't think that that's a really good description of like a maroon 5 concert probably i don't know i haven't seen them live
2: orgy in the audience i think is is a bit out there
3: that's that's one thing that i have never seen
2: <laughs> all the other stuff they that, that uh they're, they're talking about like bands are doing drugs backstage there's a yeah, happening on yeah like I mean like they're not wrong.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so I I was hearing though about like you know the evil satanic artists like Alice Cooper putting on stage shows with all the you know the blood and guts and Gene Simmons is spitting blood, true, and summoning Satan, probably not true. Ozzy is biting the heads off of bats also not true. I I guess what I'm saying is that my perception of all rock concerts was heavily influenced by the satanic panic and a religious game of telephone that was started by literally anything Mayhem ever did. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know, there's sheep, sheep heads on stakes and things.
2: That's metal as f***. Uh,
3: you know, I just, I wish, I, I, I really love Mayhem, and I wish that most of the people in it weren't racist, because then I could love them a lot more but i kind of can't
2: it's okay we all have our problematic faves
3: well they're also dead so (laughs) that (laughs) makes me feel a little bit better about my problematic faves yeah like they're dead and they can't you know harm anybody (laughs) so i think y'all probably know about the path that i took into finding popular music i was listening i had gotten an ipod and i was listening to Artists that I knew, artists that were popular among good fundy kids such as myself, big band music was the thing among fundy kids when I was a fundy kid. Uh, so I was listening to a lot of Frank Sinatra, Andy Williams, Rat Pack in general, The Temptations, The Righteous Brothers. And I got into Josh Groban and Michael Buble because that they would come up on my Pandora stations for like Frank Sinatra stuff. And I'm not mad about it. I still love a lot of that music. Somehow Pandora led me to The Cure and Green Day. I liked Green Day, which was probably the most normal part of my teenage years. Uh, I did not know that Green Day was a current band at the time I was in high school. I thought they were like from the 80s. Uh, But I also thought The Cure was a current band when I was in high school. So (laughs) Hmm. I was confused on a few things. I also uh, heard Rage Against the Machine that I did not understand the lyrics, um, but I felt really guilty about listening to them because their name implied rebellion. So I figured they were probably rebellious about something.
1: <laughs>
3: um, <you laughs> Maybe know? a little bit. That was my, <laughs> my first missed opportunity for radicalization. <laughs> so I got out of fundamentalism and I've talked about making a list of 100 movies that I wanted to see. The idea was that I wanted to catch up on everything that I'd missed out on growing up. And some of those, some of those movies, I was correct. Like, I know that Forrest Gump was on the list. I know that Casablanca was on the list. Um Mean Girls, I think, was on that list. Great film. And then there were some other ones on there. And I, I cannot remember what they were, but I know they were not what anybody would consider classic movies or unmissable bits of pop culture. My musical journey was very similar. I had a list of musical artists, and it was only people that I had heard preached against because those were the only musical artists I knew.
2: Honestly, though, if you're trying to find music that's going to slap, just look at whatever the IFB hates. This, so. is
3: th- this <laughs> In theory, yes, in practice, it didn't work very well for me. So I looked up Madonna, and I thought her music was all right, but it didn't really interest me that much. So I looked up Miley Cyrus and I liked a few of her songs, but they just I wasn't too interested. Uh, I looked up Michael Jackson and I liked some of his music, but it like it wasn't enough for me to like be super super into like I didn't latch on to any one artist that I really liked. I also did not have any kind of concept about who is a current active artist versus like who is an artist who isn't making music anymore and I'm enjoying their back catalog. And like I, I did not know who was current and who wasn't, so I wasn't finding anything that really interested me on the list of the people that the IFB hated. So I just figured I didn't like popular music very much.
2: Man, what a hipster!
3: I just, I wasn't trying <laughs> to be. I just thought, well, this is boring. <laughs> so I listened to um, a little bit of like twenty indie pop, like like the the Lumineers or the Plain White Tees or. Death Cab for Cutie, like that kind of thing. I really did enjoy that style, but I also knew that there was something else out there that I would also enjoy and didn't know what it was. So I worked retail. One of my coworkers introduced me to industrial music. So every time I worked with her, she was playing Depeche Mode and KMFDM. And that was like really close. And I'm like, okay, this is really close to whatever that thing is that I'm missing, But whenever I tried to listen to the, the, you know, the big, scary IFB boogeyman of heavy metal, I, it sounded really dissonant because I, my ear was so trained to listen for specific harmonies by the IFB. I was singing parts by the time I was like eight or nine years old. So I had been trained to really listen for the major chords and the perfect fourths and the perfect fifths. And that was what my ear was so trained to. I couldn't hear harmony in metal at all. Then I met Jonathan, and he introduced me to ghost and melodic metal. And I loved ghost from the first moment that I heard them. But he played me bands like Arch Enemy and Children of Bodom that have the screamy kind of vocal style but the music is very classically influenced and from hearing I, those were bands that I could hear the harmonies in so once I was able to tune my ear to the complex harmonies of metal I was able to appreciate it a lot more and then once I had, like I had like found the thing that I was missing so I went on a very hardcore heavy metal binge for like a year or two where that was basically all I listened to and Jonathan is not one of those metal guys who's like, you can only listen to metal if you listen to anything else. He's not one of those guys, thankfully. So he was bringing other music into my life and I was adding back in things that I used to enjoy. So Jonathan introduced me to the 1975, who I freaking love. And then I was bringing back in bands that I used to enjoy like Maroon 5 or Bruno Mars. And I got to like a really good mix of all the things that I like.
2: That's a wonderful story. Two sort of things that I'm getting from this story that I, I feel like I'm getting from the story is that one, yeah, knowing what you like about the music that you have been exposed to is a big thing. So even if you if you listen to something and even if you don't like it, totally figuring out what specifically about the music it is that you do like that's a big thing.
3: Yeah, there's, well, there's very little music that I straight up do not like or do not want to hear. I just, yeah. I love music. And then there are some styles that I like more.
2: But hearing like, okay, I want something with the the harmonies and the, the intricacies, that was a big thing. And then the second thing to add on to that is having a friend who can point you in the right direction if you tell them those things.
3: Right. You can jump off of what you like to find more things and having a friend who has a huge music library is really, really helpful. I was so raised on classical music. I listened to a lot of church music and Jesus music, but I was really, really, my dad was a huge classical music fan and really raised me on classical So my family listened to the classical radio station constantly. And that was just the radio station that we put on. So I have to be able to relate something to classical music to understand it. And because I'm a lifelong musician, I can't really enjoy music unless I can understand it. Because that's just how my brain works. So I, being introduced to metal bands that are super classically influenced, I I could hear, oh, this sounds like Beethoven. Oh, this sounds like Mozart. Oh, this sounds... And then I could understand it more. But before I had anybody to point me in the right direction, it was a lot of aimless wandering around and almost completely giving up on enjoying music.
2: Yeah. And that's the last thing that you'd want. But I, I, I can totally understand that somebody would come out of a cult and they would open up YouTube or they go on Spotify or Apple music and then you run into option paralysis. You know what I mean? So you like, so what, what are they going to do? They're just going to play whatever the most mainstream thing they hear is, you know, something they they see promoted on YouTube or something they see on TikTok, or they hear on the radio or in the background of a TV show. And that's a perfectly fine way to find music. If you want to, to find music and you, You just want to look for something and you don't know what it is you're looking for. Um, But if you do that, you're not going to find something outside of the mainstream and you might be missing out on on whatever's going on. And certainly, if you want to start going out and seeing music live in concert, you're not going to be able to find that in your own city, you know, Mm -hmm. like if, if it's really mainstream stuff. And and a, a big famous act, you're not going to be able to find that in your city or your town on any given Friday or Saturday night if you want to go out and see them and if you want to go out and experience the music in person.
3: I do want to point out that I did find one of probably my top 10 favorite songs of all time in on a TV show.
2: Really? Which song?
3: So the song is called I Wish by Skilo. Do you know this one?
2: Oh yeah, 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 yeah! I wish it was a little bit taller. I wish it was a ball. Yeah, that's yeah.
3: That was it was played over the closing credits of the tragically canceled Drew Barrymore zombie comedy Santa Clarita Diet on Netflix.
2: I didn't see that. uh,
3: It like now don't bother because the story never got like the story never got an ending. It ends on a cliffhanger because they didn't pick up for season four but it's really good. It's very funny. So if you just go, I think a lot of ex-fundies are just going to go to radio songs because we were so indoctrinated to believe that the most sinful, evil music you can possibly find in the world is being played on the radio because that's where Satan can get his music into the most ears. So if you want to know what's really the worst music, it's probably whatever's top 40. So ex-fundies think, oh, I'm going to jump into the deep end and listen to the really evil stuff. I'm just going to turn on the hits radio.
2: You're going to hear some just like Lil Nas X, which I guess the fundies are going to think is evil. See, yeah, hear, the
3: fundies fundies, definitely evil.
2: Yeah, some like Dua Lipa, some Ariana Grande, some evil Olivia Rodrigo. because they're women. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But mm. if you... So you might turn on the radio and you might find something that you really love. And that's great. But you also might come up short. You might have that feeling that I had of like, I really feel like there is a sound that I'm missing, but I don't know what it is. And it is really perplexing if you get to that point. Because what do you do next? Like, where are you supposed to go from there?
2: What do you think of maybe finding like a music critic or a music journalist and looking at what they say the top 10 albums of like the year are they're like, wait to go to their end of year list and say, okay, what are the best uh, albums that came out last year? And then going to those.
3: That could definitely be one route. I remember doing that and I was looking at people who were writing about music and what they said they liked, but I wasn't finding anything outside the mainstream from that. And there were things in the mainstream that I liked, but I, it just, it wasn't satisfying. Like I knew there was something that I needed that I wasn't getting. It's those lists kind of tend to be repetitive. So they were a good way to catch up on. Uh, I did go to the top 40 website and listen to like the number one, two, and three songs from each year that I'd been alive. And that was helpful. But all the lists seem to be the same thing and just more of the same thing.
2: Yeah. And unless there is like a ton of diversity, unless it's like a listing, like a specific genre, you like, you just might not like it. So you might turn like, say you turn on the radio and you think, Oh, I don't like rap or hip hop very much because the only thing that you've really heard uh, coming from the radio is like trap music Uh, and you haven't heard like old school hip hop or like some boom bap type stuff or something or or, like, you know, something from the nineties or you might hear somebody say Eminem is the best rapper. And then you might think, okay, well, if he's the best rapper, then I should listen to him to see if I like rap. And then, yeah. And then you, you turn on some of his songs and you don't really like them very much. And you think, well, I guess I don't like rap. But then you haven't heard like Snoop Dogg, who sounds totally different from Eminem. And I guess everybody here can tell exactly how old I am because I'm talking about Eminem versus Snoop Dogg. But like, you get what I'm saying. Like, if you listen to hip hop, they're both very popular, both very iconic. But
3: I think that's a really good point. If you have no concept of the world of popular music, if you don't like the first thing within a particular genre that you try, it feels really isolating. Because you do not, you think that's it, and you don't like that genre, and then what? And then what next? Like, then what do you do? I will say, I love some Snoop Dogg, and if you don't know if you like rap and you want to find out, listen to the entire album, the entire album, the Chronic by Dr. Dre, West Coast. That is how you find out.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's. I mean, he's really talented.
3: Um, Just extremely talented.
2: And there's a lot of really good rappers on there that like it's because he's. As much a producer as he is a rapper, so a lot of the it's going to be...
3: Right. Well, that's why I different. recommended that particular album, because it's got a lot of different people on it.
2: Yeah. But it's, it's really... It's cohesive
3: as an album, but it's got a little bit more variety within it. But if you find something that you like, if you get a hit on one particular song or one particular artist, you can Google something like more artists like... Whatever thing you liked or more songs like whatever thing you like you can look up spotify playlists that have The song or the artist that you like on it and then see what else is on that playlist I I think you can kind of make the algorithm work for you once you find something that you like to start with
2: Yeah, that's totally true And don't like I mean you might find that you're really into edm Uh, you might find that you're really into country music or folk music and you can always do the thing like this is a really because i know everything is digital these days um and that's how we experience music a lot of the time but say you could do this thing like walk into a record store and say to the clerk that works there i'm fresh out of a cult I don't know any music, but I just discovered X music. Can you tell me what else I might like? And they are going to just be like, yes, absolutely. This is the best day of my life that I get to help somebody shape their musical tastes into something that I think is be-. like, y- You know what I'm saying? Yes.
3: <laughs> like, but also, be- you don't have to say that you were just out of a cult. No. You can you can just say that I like I never listened to music before and I'm just getting into it because some people, um, me, are extremely comfortable with opening conversations with strangers with Hi, I'm Sadie and I got out of a cult, um, but I understand that that is not for everybody.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's well, just people, me. <laughs> the thing is that people who really like who who are like hella into music to the point where they work at like a record store. Are gonna be people who love talking about music and love talking about the things that they love about music. And so you can like, I mean, you basically did that without the record store. You know, Jonathan is that kind of guy. (laughs) Where
3: Jonathan is so that kind of guy. (laughs) So if you are getting out of a cult and you want to learn about music, marry my husband.
2: Yeah. Uh oops, not possible. Polygamy is illegal. (laughs) <laughs> no, but like you, you could find an episode d- about that. <laughs> yeah, we did. No, you, you could like do the equivalent of what Sadie did, except that she didn't find him in a record store. Marry she found a record
3: him. store clerk. Got it. Yeah,
2: that, that's <laughs> that's the move. So, um,
3: OK, jokes aside, if you do like metal and you want to hear my husband's album that I am on um, and also the reason that I basically didn't see him for a month because he mixed and produced the entire thing and did so well. Uh, if you go to dot now dot com, like hear, hear it now, H-E-A-R-N-O-W, redhoof.hearnow.com, I'll put it in our stories or something, but you can see it and hear it and find me on the album because I'm on like three out of the five songs. Shameless husband promotion. Yeah. No, record story clerks <laughs> who love their jobs are like the librarians of music and we stand librarians. True. Also, you might end up like me. There was a serious missing piece in my collection of the different musical styles that I love. And once I found that missing piece, when I found like, the subgenres of metal that I'm really into, that freed me up. I felt like to go back and enjoy all the other styles of music that I really like. So growing up Fundy, I had this idea that every worldly person only liked one kind of music so you're only allowed to like like rock music or rap music or country music or metal or pop music and then that's it i i just i thought that people out in the world would not like you or make fun of you if you liked more than one style of music and there are definitely assholes who will say mean things if you like a band that they don't like but you can just literally ignore them I'm not going to let some jerk on the internet stop me from listening to something that I truly love ever.
2: That's a good point, because a lot of music fans can tend to be gatekeepers about who they think should or shouldn't be allowed to listen to the music that they like. Yeah, ignore it. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) tune that out. Tune that like just anybody who's <laughs> acting like that ignore them They're- also
3: if somebody's like oh you like this band can you name 14 of their songs and tell me what their albums are in order c- you can ignore that too yeah especially if you are an afab or femme presenting person but if you're anybody you can just ignore that if you like if you are into metallica and you only like like their five most popular songs that's fine it's fine fine
2: if you're into metallica and the only song that you could like if you just learned about metallica because you saw one of their songs on stranger things and then you decided to buy the t-shirt i'm not going to say it to you don't and, and anybody who would say s- it to you can f- off into the sun times infinity that's my personal opinion so say you have found your new favorite band or your new favorite artist But maybe they're not touring, Maybe, or maybe they're broken up. Maybe they're not around anymore. Maybe they died, um, as tends to happen. How do you go about figuring out what concerts you want to go to?
3: So I got into going to concerts so late. It was like 2017, 2018. But by the time I came on the scene, all of that was through social media. Uh, I think local music is a great entry point. If there's a really popular band that you like, and they happen to be coming through your town soon, it's totally fine to make a big arena concert your first concert. It was mine, but it's equally great to go to a smaller show, and that might be easier for my fellow anxiety people.
2: So how would you go about deciding what concert it is that you want to go to?
3: My first concert wasn't a band that I knew well. It was just something that my friends were going to, and they dragged me along, but it was a great time
2: but without say you don't get an invite from a friend do you do you think that you would have had a harder time maybe getting into live music
3: i don't think it was the invite that made a difference i think it was having someone to go with because i could have also seen myself deciding to go to a concert but needing people who had gone to concerts before to go with me
2: i mean i go to shows all the, alone all the time but also i'm a man so i'm not worried about like safety
3: Yeah, a lot of people go to shows alone, but I bet you didn't go to your first concert by yourself.
2: No, my dad took me and my brother to see Ringo Starr and the All-Star Band in 1999 when I was like six years old. And like when I was in high school, I would be playing in bands. My friends uh, from school or or music camp, they'd be playing in bands and we'd go see each other um, at like all ages shows when they used to do all ages shows at the Satyricon. Rest in peace to the Satyricon
3: jonathan's um. high school band played at the satiricon you've only missed him by a few years
2: <laughs> dude ev- like everyone played at the satiricon in my opinion this is my personal opinion portland died when they demolished the satiricon um fun fact that's where kurt cobain met courtney love
3: yeah because she was working at mary's club or something downtown right
2: yeah I, I yeah i don't know all the details but yeah so speaking of venues this brings me to something a lot of times the easiest way to get involved in a music scene and to find music that you really like and like often even sometimes community that you really like as well is by following a specific music venue, like like a, a, a nightclub or or a concert hall where there's often music. So for instance, like say I'm just thinking of some examples off the top of my head. Say you were living in like New York in the late 70s or the early 80s and you wanted to get involved in seeing punk music like punk rock you would go to cbgb uh which is like a, a famous punk rock music venue Um, uh, very famous that's in the where punk scene kiss got the their start
3: that's where twisted sister got their start i believe that's where new york dolls got their start yeah
2: say you like and say you wanted to go to like a rock show and you were living in L.A. and it was the 70s or 80s, you would go down to like the Whiskey-A-Go-Go.
3: Or Guns N' Roses, it's got their start in the 80s.
2: <laughs> These are like famous venues that, that have like a scene built around them. The town where you live, maybe you don't live in a major city. Chances are you probably don't live like in a major, major city like this. But the town where you live probably has some bars or nightclubs that specialize in a specific kind of music.
3: Yeah, and I just got to say, it it is very inspirational that you are connecting local music to these iconic venues and big-name bands. Because in reality, yeah, you might not see the next Kiss on any given night at your local club. And you might not see the next Guns N' Roses. But you never know, one day you might see the next big thing. And that's part of the magic of live music and local venues.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really it. You know, say you're getting out of fundamentalism and you're not comfortable with a lot of the, say, uh, this is just a hypothetical person that I'm talking about. Say this is a person getting out of fundamentalism, not comfortable with a lot of the heavier, more bombastic music out there. They're more into like country music or folk music, you know, acoustic, like singer songwriter, that kind of thing. Guaranteed anywhere that you live in the United States there is a country bar that specializes in country music or there will be like a bar or a nightclub that has uh, like a singer songwriter like a, like an open mic night um or there will be a singer songwriter night where there will be three or four artists on the bill the more stripped down and the more like the less of like a hassle a whole stage performance is for a genre of music you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. like the more like like singer songwriter, you know, you can do that with like a, a singer and a piano or a singer and a guitar. The easier that is to perform anywhere, the greater the chances are that you'll be able to find somebody playing that music any given night of the week. So you'll like, if you're into like the whole singer songwriter thing, or maybe like a more of a country thing, you will be able to probably find like an open mic with a super underground, but, unbelievably talented group of people that are playing songs that they wrote and you know it'll be hit and miss some artists will be better than others but you'll find it and you'll find some people that you like
3: you also might find a local band that you're super into opening for a bigger act i yeah. think i think it was andrew wk when i saw him that uh, the opening band so he, what he had was he had a local opening band from every city rather th- rather than touring with an opener and the local band here was jenny don't and the spurs and i was like oh great this is like modern rhinestone country music i'm going to hate this and i did not hate it um <laughs> not my top preferred style of music but the lead singer was just fantastic
2: And did you go and see them again? I Uh, have
3: not, but I would. I haven't had a show of theirs come up like when I was available, but I totally would go see them again.
2: And this is something that happened to me. This is maybe a little bit bigger uh, of of not quite exactly the same thing. But uh, as we all know, one of my favorite bands is Haim. And I went and I saw them in 2018 when they were playing at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall which is a 5000 seat venue so it's it's a fairly large venue but like now they're playing at like they they're selling out Madison Square Garden so it's it's not on the same level as that anyway i went and saw them at like a 5000 seat venue it was a great show you know who the opener for that show was who? this is 2018 2019 this is one of the biggest artists in the world you know who the opener was.
3: No, who was it? Lizzo. <gasps> oh my god.
2: Yeah. So sometimes you so go you got and to you
3: see Lizzo as an opening act.
2: I got to see Lizzo as an opening act, and she played like Jerome. She played Truth Hurts. I remember she played Truth Hurt like and I you know when you go and you see the band and and you know you buy tickets for a band you really want to see and you look at like Who's the opener? Like, what's the opener? Oh, the, who's Lizzo? I've never heard of her. Um, sometimes maybe you go ahead and you listen to their music beforehand because you want to see if you're going to get excited for them or not. I didn't bother doing that. And I was just at this show and th- this, you know, and Lizzo. You know, th- comes out on stage, an incredible stage presence. I'm just like, who who is this? Who who is this opening act? um She comes out on stage, and I'm like, I've never heard of this woman before, but she is a performer. She played the flute. She uh she she sang. She sang. She rapped. She you know danced. She had uh she, she had everybody moving and shaking. And it it was like unbelievable, and I was just like, I don't know who this is, but she's about to be a star. <laughs> no, so you I- did
3: almost get that experience of seeing somebody on their way up that later became super huge.
2: Yeah, and, and that's she was, like,
3: and that is how my favorite band Ghost got big. Uh they were doing okay, and they were selling. They were selling places like the Roseland, which I think is about a two thousand person venue, if that. Maybe uh, Roseland's not that big, is it?
2: I don't know. Do you know it, the it's
3: capacity on the Roseland. Well,
2: I, I they were, really you know, they
3: were doing big clubs, but nothing really more than that. And then they had a tour where they opened for Metallica and they had a tour where they opened for Iron Maiden and that catapulted them into what they have now. So, speaking, going back to like local and live music though, um, I saw a really neat show. You can also be exposed to new styles that you would never have looked up on your own, but you might kind of dig them. I saw a show, and I think it might have been at Firkin, but I'm not sure. It was just one person with a bunch of computers, like 14 computers, on the t- on a folding table. And they were mixing samples live and making weird electronic like alien music. And it was super cool. And I would I would not be the person to look that up on my own, but I thought their set was really fun.
2: I've played at that venue. It's a cool venue. I've seen shows there. And if you decide you want to maybe experiment in getting into some just really esoteric or, uh, or or ambient or electronic music, a lot of venues will put that sort of thing on on like a Monday or a Tuesday night when they're not expecting mm-hmm. peak you, you know, it's not the Friday and Saturday night scene where you want to just like be packing people and it'll be Monday and Tuesday where, you know, you can afford to kind of take a chance on something that's a little bit out there. that has got a bit more of a niche audience.
3: Yeah, I uh, the like really weird music is not an entree for me. It's more of an appetizer or dessert, but I sure do like it as my appetizer or dessert and i'm really i'm really glad i got to see it i did you say you've played at furkin
2: yeah once or twice
3: i've played there too it's a good it's a good place to play the band that i was with when i performed at the furkin was like nine people and if you're familiar with the stage mm. it is not big enough <laughs> and i'm trying to think it was it was two two horns a guitar a bass a drummer me the keyboardist and the singer so seven people That stage is not big enough for seven people, especially when you have both a drummer and a keyboardist. The bill the night that I played there was the band that I was in at the time, which was like a blues rock band, and then a politically motivated ska band called Fake News.
2: Hmm. Which was so fun. (laughs) How did you feel about the lineup that night? Because this is like this is something I guess we've we've touched on a little bit but I want to get back into maybe.
3: I thought it was great because I found out that I like politically motivated humorous ska music and our band had a horn section and their band was mostly horns so I felt like it worked together really well.
2: But that reminds me like so like I was talking about earlier with Lizzo a great way to find new artists that you like is to go see artists that you already know and then stay and and, and see the band that they're playing before or the band that's playing after them, you know, and, and just go for the whole show. If they're on a bill with like three or four different people, see if you like any of those artists and then you can follow them.
3: Yeah. And if, you know, if one of the other bands that wasn't the primary band that you went to see goes on and you're not feeling it, it's no big deal because you paid for the ticket to see the band that you want to see. Yeah. It's no loss to you to give them a shot.
2: I do feel like metal fans are notorious for showing up to their band's show and then leaving immediately and not staying for <laughs> any of the
3: other bands. Yeah. But to take a page out of your book, Gavi, you don't owe anyone anything.
2: This is true. Damn right. You do not owe your time to anybody.
3: So I think there is there is a balance to be struck there because generally it's a great idea to support local artists and local music, and it's great to give local bands a chance. I don't like the idea of like, if you go to the show, then you have to stay and support every band on the bill. That just feels fundy-ish to me. So I, I typically fall more in the middle of like, do what you want and But give, you know, if you went for one particular band, give the other bands a song or two to catch your attention and go, you know, go with an open mind.
2: And that way you're not cheating yourself out of being exposed to some music that you might really enjoy.
3: Yeah. And this literally happened to me the other day. We went to hear my husband's band and the band that played right before his was really great. I loved them.
2: Yeah, like really proggy sound. They were incredible. They were very talented.
3: That band was like, you know how, um, you know how hippies will do sound baths where they'll like lay down and people will play those ringing singing bowls around them. Yeah, and it like clears your chakra or something. That band was that, but for (laughs) metalheads.
2: Okay, so like if if you hear like some progressive metal that's in like eight different time signatures, this like instrumental progress or like prog rock prog metal you're gonna that just like clears your brain out
3: yeah okay but if you so if you want to hear what we're talking about the band is called dysgenia d-y-s-g-e-n-i-a and they're on um instagram you can hear some clips of them that is exactly what i was talking about with music that i would not have been able to appreciate coming out of fundamentalism because they play in extremely odd time signatures and weird key shifts and tone shifts and that like when i first got out of fundamentalism i needed to be able to count the beats in a song probably because i was taught to do that to see if it was evil or not (laughs) but i would have been so perplexed by that sound a few years ago but now i heard it and loved it
2: yeah and so much of this stuff really is an acquired taste
3: you know if it's an acquired taste go out and acquire it and like what you like and yeah. try to open your mind and find more stuff that you like.
2: I think we're, we're almost done here. Um, yeah. Maybe just one or two more points that we need to hit. Um, I just want to talk real quick about concert etiquette because there's a, a couple uh, do's and don'ts about going to concerts. Most of which are just mainly based around treating the people around you, uh, uh, the performers, the other concert goers with respect I think one of the things to remember, um, and maybe this is an easy thing to think about, is that the person who is on stage in front of you—that person is at work right now. If they're playing a show, they're at work. They're they're at a gig, and as much as we, I guess, like to romanticize musicians uh, and romanticize doing it out of pure passion and passion alone, they're th- like they're there to do a job, and so. It, and I, I don't think I need to say this for anybody who listens to our show, but maybe for some people who definitely don't listen to our show, um, if you wouldn't say something to the guy that's making your coffee, don't yell it at the singer from Twin Temple who's dressed like satanic Amy Winehouse.
3: That one stuck with you, huh?
2: That one really did. That guy really pissed me off.
3: No, that's that's fair. How do yeah. you feel about um, people taking videos or pictures with their phone at concerts?
2: It depends on the... Co- Mostly it's fine mostly it's totally cool because what you're doing, I, I mean, I know there's some famous clips out there of like, you know, that, that Guns N' Roses clip from the early 90s when um, somebody is taking a video at the um, of the Guns N' Roses concert and Axl Rose yells at the guy and points him out and then immediately <laughs> is like, thanks to your sh- security, this concert's over and then storms off stage because somebody was videotaping his show
3: yeah, but also I think Axl Rose in the in the '90s just wanted to get off stage and would kind of pick anything to do it over.
2: That's actually true. That's uh, actually very accurate. No, these days, um, and I'm speaking about this as like a performer. If I'm performing and somebody puts my show, uh, somebody takes a video of me performing on their on uh, like on their Instagram story, or takes a video and puts it on social media and then tags me in it. That's great because that's more people that see, okay, well this is this person was at this concert, maybe I should check out this artist. Oh, I like this song. I'm hearing the song played uh on my Instagram story, then I'm watching Instagram stories, I see this song, I really like the song, maybe I should check out this artist. So that's free publicity these days. Um
3: yeah, for especially for li- like local and up and coming bands, I think it's super great to to share on social media if you saw them and you liked them definitely give them a shout out on social media
2: that being said there are some instances uh where this can get out of hand so and i'm going to tell a story where i was at uh, uh, i was at uh in 2015 um a rush concert this was uh, on the R40 tour. This was Rush's final tour as a band, and everyone knew that it was going to be a, their final tour as a band. They were never going to do another tour after this, for real, like actually. And that ended up being true because Neil Peart, their drummer, died in, in 2020. I had gone out and bought tickets to the show. with. I went with my brother, um, and we'd gotten tickets to the show. And they weren't cheap, but they were worth it to us. And we were we were on the floor um, and it was assigned seating. The guy who was in front of me at the show decided that he had to post almost the whole thing on his Snapchat story from his iPad. So he mm-hmm. had an eye, so he was standing in front of me, and usually, like people in front of you at a concert uh, in front of me at a concert. that's not a big deal because I'm tall. This guy was maybe like five, nine or something, so he was a bit shorter than me. That's fine. But this guy, holding his iPad above his head and taking a snap story of everything. Like, not just the, he's just like, like, here's a picture of what the light show is doing right now with this Rush concert. And he's on his like, basically on his just posting these to his snap story, like four five six seven eight nine ten 10 times a song, every single song of the entire show.
3: Mm. Do you think he enjoyed the show?
2: I don't know if this guy enjoyed the show because the only thing he was doing was posting these short videos, like these short 30 second, one minute videos to social media the whole time.
3: So I like and I've seen a lot of discourse from artists about it's really it's really discouraging. If you look out and all of you can't see anybody's faces, all you see is a bunch of cell phones being held up.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I
3: I do. I cannot come down fully on like, don't take pictures at shows or don't take videos at shows. I think that in the age of social media and the age of digital photography and everything that we live in, it is totally valid that you want a photographic memento of the show that you went to and i think it's totally fine if you're at a stadium show to take some pictures if you have one favorite song that the band does it's it, unless the band has a no recording rule i think it's totally fine to video one entire song if that's your favorite song you know that's fine
2: yeah, but don't don't hold it up above your head on an iPad where it's going to don't block do the Don't do it on an iPad obviously. ever. That's rude. Yeah, this guy was uh, <laughs> this guy had to go. I, I straight up almost fought this man because <laughs> I this was my last chance to see my favorite band. I knew they weren't going on tour again and this guy was out there in front of me just ruining it for me. And he like he really did ruin the show for me because he just had the iPad up in front of me the whole time and I couldn't see what was going on. And it was deeply inconsiderate, and it was really annoying.
3: Yeah, I don't want to. I, I, I just I cannot come down fully on don't take pictures or video at all. But he wasn't being considerate of the people behind him. If you're at a show where you're in GA floor, so maybe there's assigned seating around the edge of the arena, but you got a floor ticket. That's where uh, where Gabby and I were when we saw a ghost. Be considerate of shorter and smaller people around you. If you're blocking somebody's view fully, then you are being rude. I do think I do think it is okay, though, to do minimal pictures and videos so you have a memory of the concert. Uh, when I first started going to shows, I felt like I had to video and take pictures of and document everything. And after a little bit of that... I realize that all light shows pretty much look the same unless it's like Kiss or Metallica or something huge like that that has a buku budget. They all kind of look the same. All pyro looks the same. <laughs> um, take take pictures of your favorite moments, take pictures of the cool if there's a cool costume change or a really a fun pose. Like by all means take pictures of it. If you're going to video a couple seconds of a song or video your favorite song or your favorite lyric, by all means, but be considerate of the people behind you because they want to see the artists that they paid to see, not your phone.
2: The thing like if you're videoing the stuff to put it on social media. I'm just gonna tell you this right now. Nobody who follows you on social media is gonna watch your video of a show. Maybe they'll watch your your Instagram story or whatever. Nobody is going to watch your video of the show and think, oh wow, let me watch this whole video of this concert. They're going to skip through it. They're like that nobody is going to watch the whole thing. No one wants to see it. Nobody cares. Like nobody cares what the light show at the concert looked like. Nobody like zero people give a.
3: Yeah. So if you're taking pictures or video, it's really just for you. And you want to balance the experience of being present in the moment at the concert with having some cool digital mementos to take home with you.
2: So that brings me to another thing that is that you shouldn't feel like you need to treat a rock show or like an acoustic show, a folk show, or something like that, like you're at the symphony or like you're at somebody's piano recital. If it's in the middle of a song, um, if, if, you know you can get up and go to the bathroom if you don't have to like push a bunch of people out of the way to to do it you know you can get up and go to the bar and order a drink if you want in the middle of the song you could even carry on a conversation with somebody as long as you're like if you're like in the back and it's not spoiling it for other people and you're not really audible like th- this is one of the things that i think like you were talking about where artists are like it's so discouraging to people see to, to see people on their phones and like taking videos rather than actually being present in the moment. Um, my opinion of this is that artists need to get the f- over themselves and they are there as performers and the people who are there have paid to see them. And if they want to uh, pay attention to what's going on on stage, they can pay attention to what's going on on stage. And if they want to pay attention to posting whatever is going on stage to social media, they can do that. Get the f*** over yourself. I know that you are, like, if you become a professional musician, there's, like, a a decent enough chance that you feel like you need to be the center of attention all the time, maybe, possibly. Probably I'm just stereotyping people a lot of it. But something you got to learn to live with if you're going to be a professional, learn to do it, cash your check. Like, it's not going to be your fantasy.
3: Yeah, and I think there is a balance between trying to be present and enjoy the experience, not feeling and not feeling like you're obligated to be a perfect little citizen while you're there, kind of antithetical to rock concerts.
2: <laughs> you know, like I've played shows where there was a hundred people there, and I've played shows where it was in front of five thousand people, but it like it wasn't me that they were coming to see. But I've I've been part of shows where it was in front of thousands of people. I've been shows where maybe a hundred people came to see me. And I've been shows where to th- I've played shows where three people showed up. Like you get like if you book a show, you go to it, you play it, and if not enough people showed up to for your ego, then not enough people showed up for your ego. Get over it. Like you just have to 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 learn to deal with that like you're you're not gonna play a concert and then suddenly like they're gonna like pull up in limousines everybody is going to pull up in limousines and everything is going to change for you forever and your life is going to be amazing now that you played this one concert and a lot of people showed up to it and suddenly you're famous and rich and the greatest artist of all time And you're going to be having widespread acclaim and awards and everybody's going to suddenly love you like you're you're uh, you know just like I, I think a lot of artists really do need to get over themselves. And- so
3: I want to close this episode out on a fun note. I, I want to talk about a thing that can maybe be a sticking point for ex fundies who get into heavy music. and that of course is the mosh pit. So
2: really? You,
3: yeah, I this well, think about it, you're touching a lot of people. Fundies don't do that. right. And you also may have heard kind of panicky rhetoric about how terrible and dangerous they are. And you're going to get your arm ripped right off or something. But this is the reason that I want to get into it is because it can be a sticking point for ex-fundies, but it also can really be a freeing experience. So I think it's something that is beneficial for the ex-fundies who do want to try it. Generally, in a mosh pit, it's either going to be stationary, like everybody is bumping up and kind of bouncing up and down in their own little like two-foot space on the floor, or it might be moving in a circle like a tornado, which is a whole different thing. If it's stationary, the idea is just to semi-gently bump into as many people as possible. It's great for your inner child, and for those of us who uh, whose inner child was damaged by fundamentalism, I think it's a really excellent... A healing moment. The big thing is try not to elbow people in the face. Believe it or not, outside of like a massive Slipknot or Slayer concert or something, mosh pits are more gentle than you might think. Like, I'm neither a tiny person nor a big person, and I can get into most pits and be perfectly fine. I would not go anywhere near a Slipknot pit (laughs) because I like having all of my bones (laughs) unbroken. (laughs) (laughs) um but but even like as a, a five six feminine presenting person i am perfectly fine in most pits you may have a few little bruises but you will probably be less bruised than if you went roller skating that's about how bad it'll mess you up like if you went roller skating and fell down a bunch you'd probably be worse off I've had rougher experiences on like rickety wooden roller coasters. That being said, if you elbow somebody in the face, they are probably going to elbow you in the face back or just punch you. So do try not to do that. If somebody is too rough with you, your only recourse is either getting out of their way or being rough back. I generally tend to go with being rough back. Again, this is really good therapy for ex-fundies.
2: Get out your aggression.
3: It's like it's yeah. it's uh yeah, it's like uh defending yourself training and standing up for yourself training and not being afraid of touching other people training. I had a spot at a rail once and a guy had his elbow like digging into my sternum. His arm was across my entire like upper chest and neck trying to elbow me out and take my spot. Uh, And I was not about it. So I elbowed him in the kidney and then he left me alone. So maybe all of my (laughs) pent up grocery store aggression just comes out in one place. If the pit starts going around in a circle, uh, go with the flow and have fun running in a circle with the rest of the grown adults or get out. Don't (laughs) get in the way.
2: Oh, dude, you'll get like, don't get in the way dangerous. It's Like, like
3: circle pits are where things do get kind of dangerous. And if you are not going to do well running around with a bunch of other grown adults in a circle, maybe excuse yourself.
2: Yeah. You can get towards the middle and it can be a bit of a meat grinder in there. It's uh, Yeah.
3: Or like get to the edge and see how you're doing out there. But speaking of getting out, if you need to get out and you're not close enough to the edge to just make a run for it, uh, put your arm up as far as you can over your head and point to the outside of wherever the pit is happening <laughs> and people will shove you out they're being nice. That's what they're supposed to do. Corollary to that, if you see someone pointing outwards like that, shove them towards out or help them if they actually need assistance. If you fall on your butt, there will almost always be somebody there to help you up. I got unintentionally, innocently body slammed at an Andrew W. K. concert, and a very nice man (laughs) picked me up, extremely respectfully, picked me up and carried me I guess it was just convenient carried like under my arms carried me to where my husband was who I had come with and kind of just put me on the floor in front of him and went back to doing his thing (laughs) generally like there are unsafe people in just about any crowd of people but generally uh, I have felt pretty safe in mosh pits in general
2: hey man when you're fighting uh, you feel all right Yep. That's an Andrew W.K. lyric. Right yep. there. <laughs> when it's time to party, we will party hard.
3: Uh. Uh, if you So <laughs> J- Jonathan lost me and I got returned. Speaking of losing things, I highly recommend if you wear glasses, put them in a hard case in your pocket or leave them with somebody outside the pit. If you do lose your glasses, your keys, your phone, your shoes, somebody will hold your when they when somebody finds it, they will hold it up over their head and then you can go retrieve it from them. So if you lose something, scan above everybody's heads and somebody will hold it up. Or if you find something that someone has lost, put it up over your head and it will get passed back to the right person. I highly recommend getting in a mosh pit if you want to. There there are norms that you need to know and you just kind of got to accept that you're going to get a little bumps and bruises. But it is really, really good therapy for ex-fundies. It's amazing for healing the inner child. That is my presentation on mosh pits. (laughs)
2: You're, and you're only going to have to deal with mosh pits if you're like going to punk rock or heavy metal or some more hardcore subgenres of hip hop. Um, that's the only time that you're really going to deal with. That. They're not going to be moshing at the Taylor Swift show. Uh, not, not even uh, when she's talking about uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, <laughs> no. So um, but like if Sadie said, if if you go to a show, and there's a mosh pit. It should be fairly easy to avoid because not everybody who is there is going to be want to is going to want to be part of it. Like and also there's some things to think about. Don't go in the mosh pit if you've got fresh piercings. Don't go in the mm-hmm. mosh pit if you're um fragile in composition. If um, you're
3: wearing high heels.
2: Yeah, you'll break your heels. That's what's going to happen though. The, also like you can your
3: You can know your band because like when I went to see Social Distortion And what was that? July of 2018 is when I saw Social D. And if you even call it a pit, it was it was very gentle. I, I feel like anybody over the size of like an 11 year old kid would have been fine. It was real, real mild. So kind of know the band. And you can always stand out on the edge and kind of just bump into people or shove people back into the pit as they get spit out by the mass of humanity. Um, You can be one of the people who stands around the edges and just shoves people back in and they will appreciate it. And then you can get your feet wet that way. But you can also, it is also, should be easy to stay out of it unless what happened to me at the Social D concert happens and some guys started a fight and the lead singer of the band threatens to jump down. He takes his guitar off and threatens to jump down off the stage and join the fight. And you happen to be standing directly behind the guys who started the fight. And you're really worried that you're going to get punched in the face because your wedding is two days away.
2: Great story.
3: (laughs) And you really, really think that you're going to have a black eye on your wedding day, but you escape unharmed.
2: (laughs) Mommy, why do you have a black eye in your wedding pictures?
3: <laughs> yeah, we so <laughs> and because we eloped, like nobody knew we were getting married,
2: <laughs> and yeah, but you can always put it off if if no one knows, you can always put it off.
3: No, because of the the license that we got from Multnomah County, but we had to be like done within a certain time frame.
0: Mm, okay,
2: so so social D is much more uh, gentle than say you are going to go to like a, a a bad brains or a charged GBH concert. They're gonna. Maybe yeah, f- and a like,
3: it, it, it is going to be different based on the personality of the band. So you could either look up YouTube videos of what their recent shows were like. You could stand around on the edges and kind of see how it's going before you jump in. You got options. But huh. generally, like, generally as a feminine presenting person, I feel more safe in a mosh pit than I do walking down the street.
2: Fascinating.
3: There, There is no place that is completely safe ever. So I don't want to encourage people to just like not have any sense of personal safety or caution, but I generally feel more comfortable in a mosh pit than I would in most places.
2: So I do want to say about mosh pits is that a few months ago there was a meme going around that said if the hardcore band's guitarist looks like this then you're going to die in the pit. Um and it was a picture of Toby Maguire. And he has a similar sort of clean cut look in the picture to Jonathan, to Sadie's husband. So I sent him the meme. And then like 20 minutes later, uh, I saw him post on Instagram, like, stop sending me. That. Like, everyone <laughs> sent him the meme.
3: Yeah. So, you know, when a new Fundy Girl doll uh, meme comes out, everybody sends it to me that was his version of that. And everyone we know sent it to him for like days. It was hilarious. He understood my struggle.
2: Okay. Fundy girl doll comes out with amazing memes literally like five times a day. Is your inbox just fundy girl doll, fundy girl doll, fundy girl doll, fundy girl
3: doll. (laughs) (laughs) My inbox and my tags on Instagram. And then it's okay. It's okay. I love that. I love that you found something to identify with.
2: You know what? In the future, tag leaving Eden podcast. If you tag the yeah, podcast, yeah, if you're gonna account, do it,
3: just also tag the podcast so for, so we get the publicity. Yeah, but free promotion. It is okay if everybody sends me a million of those memes.
2: Um, I, is there anything else that we want to say before we wrap this one up?
3: Uh, no, I think we should wrap this one up because I don't think we did any trauma in this episode, and it would be a world record.
2: <laughs> That's great. This is like th- we went from last week, which was like the first time you cried on Mike. Too.
3: and the how to drink episode where i was like this is not going to be traumatic at all this is a light and easy episode and then 15 minutes in um my friend julie texted me and she's like you said it was going to be light and friendly and then 15 minutes later you, were, you said remember how all the adults around us forced us to sign a coercive contract and said that god would kill us <laughs> if we broke it
2: no yeah. if, if there's it, like julie if hasn't there's... learned
3: not to trust me yet <laughs>
2: If there's anything I want to say, um, it's that there's no right or wrong way to enjoy music. Um, you have to just like it, and, and music scenes are always full of people who are going to tell you what the right or wrong way is to enjoy something. And it's because they you probably feel inadequate or they probably feel like they're uh, they're they're like they, they, they or th- they want the attention for liking something. And if somebody else likes it that they don't think is as cool as them, they feel like it, it makes it, it ruins it for them. Um, I, and th- those are just people that you should ignore. Enjoy what you want to enjoy. Go see what you want to go see. Don't let anybody tell you that you're not cool enough. Or you're not right to, to go see a certain show if you want to go see it, as long as you do so safely. And really, that's kind of it. Yeah. And so I, I hope that today we've given you some some good things to think about. Um, and. Anything else to no, say? No, I
3: think we're I think we're good.
2: Yeah, so uh, you can follow the podcast on social media at Leaving Eden Podcast on Facebook and Instagram on, at Leaving Eden Pod on Twitter uh you can join our facebook group which is facebook.com slash groups slash eden exodus you can join our subreddit which is reddit.com slash r slash eden exodus join our patreon we've gonna we're gonna have like probably 15 20 minutes of bonus content for the patrons on this episode uh just because of all the rabbit trails that we went on so if you want to hear that join our patreon which is patreon.com slash leaving eden podcast sadie do you want to plug your social media
3: sure you can follow me on instagram at sadie carpenter music you can follow me on twitter at hell yes sadie and you can follow me on tiktok at sadie carpenter one
2: and you can follow me on facebook instagram and twitter at g-a-v-r-i-e-l-h-a-c-o-h-e-n thank you guys so much for uh, tuning in make sure that you subscribe uh, and uh, make sure you tune in next week uh, you guys have a great day bye bye